privileged and honored to introduce our guest speaker today, uh, Pastor Steve Curry from Jerusalem. Born in Bethlehem, seems appropriate at Christmas time. We have a Bethlehem baby. Amen. But uh, I was introduced to him through our friends, Chris and Kristen uh, Wolf, or her on the front row here. Would you guys stand up and just kind of, you guys know them. They've been a part of influence from the beginning. And they met him in, uh, in Israel uh, just this uh, year and said, you've got to have this guy speak if he's in town. And so we began to correspond. And he's got an amazing story of how God just redeemed his family and uh, now is doing this great work in Israel, in Jerusalem, against all really the odds uh, in terms of the world, but yet God is just prevailing, and I believe he's got a prevailing message for us. Uh, they're doing something in Jerusalem right now he's going to tell you about. I want you to pray and, and just seek your heart. If you want to encourage them in prayer or in giving, you can do that. Here's information. But they are, they're seeking to, to establish what is the largest uh, Christian work right now in Jerusalem. And uh, you're going to hear more about it. I want you to put your hands together, and would you honor Pastor Stephen Curry as he comes to speak to us today. Got a video first, he says, so let's watch the video, and then Pastor Stephen will come here in just a moment, okay? 1987, the first intifada. Christians leave the West Bank in record number after surviving the Palestinian uprising against Israel. Once, Bethlehem was 80% Christian, but three out of four Christians have evacuated. Bethlehem is now 80% Muslim. Pastor Stephen Curry was raised in Bethlehem. There, he and his father created Holy Land Missions, a ministry that has flourished for over 36 years inside Muslim and Israeli territory. They chose to stay and preach the gospel in a time when others chose to flee. Jim Dow, the president of Voice of the Martyrs, said Stephen Curry has a fearless determination to share the gospel anywhere, without reservation. Amidst firebombings, shootings, public beatings, and discrimination, Pastor Stephen has continued to minister in the West Bank. He frequently appears on TV to tell his story of how an Arab can share the love of Jesus with Jews and Muslims alike. God has given Pastor Stephen the assignment of encouraging Christians around the world to be bold and courageous. To reach out to the Muslim community with the truth of the gospel. Good, good morning. We worship a risen Savior. Amen. I know he's risen because I'm from Jerusalem. The tomb is empty. Amen. I will be joining you on staff. No, I'm just joking. You guys got a new worship leader. You guys got a new lead pastor. So uh, I thought might as well. But no, you know, we, work, we worship the same king. Amen. Jerusalem, Bethlehem, U.S., regardless where you are, we worship the same king. 
And that's the beauty about this. And I, I love the journey where the Lord brought me here because I first met uh, a, a, a Christian Christian in Bethlehem. They came with a beautiful group, which I think most of them were um, Pastor Phil's Timothy's. I mean, these are young people that t- talked about you. And, and Chris uh, really has really been talking about Influence Church. And then here I am today this, to having from Bethlehem meeting Chris to having coffee at Starbucks uh, in this area with Pastor Phil. What a small world. Really is a small world, isn't it? I want to start with one thing, and, and I hope this sticks within you. If you don't get anything from what I say today, just get this, get this statement in your heart. Christ is not a product. He is a process. I want you to, I, I urge you to understand this. Christ and Christianity, the faith, it's not a, pro, it's not a product. It's a process. And it's, in, it's, it's important to, to, to grasp this because as I learn to, to understand more the Californians, as they call them, as I'm going to send more your hearts and your minds, to understand how, how, you, how God has meshed you together, I want you to understand that Jesus is a process. You grow with him. You, you, you suffer with him. You, you pay a price for him. And that's the beauty about what I will be sharing with you today is a concept of Christ and what he means to all of us. Today, I will challenge you briefly from Daniel chapter three. And, and, and it's in the Old Testament for those who are a little bit rusty in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter three, I will summarize to you the first 21 verses. In the first 21 verses, this is what we see happen and unfold. And then we'll read a few verses together, all right? So in Daniel chapter three, what we see happen you see a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was a king that had uh, many, many gods. And he wanted to be on the good side of every god. So what does he do? He dedicates one day where every man, woman, and child must bow down to every god that exists. And the Bible says that heads and, and knees bent all over Babylon except three Jewish prophets. These three Jewish prophets are Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Please excuse how I pronounce them. The only way, way not the original way, forgive me. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are three Jewish prophets that uh, they refuse to bow down. And the king hears about them and he calls them into his palace. And we sort of see the, the story unfold in a very unique way because the king knows about the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego because he knows about the God of Daniel. And he, and he treats them very delicately. And if we really put, take the first 21, 22 verses out of the scriptures and put them into 21st century uh, uh, discussion, this is, how the, this is how the conversation would have gone like. The king would sort of bring these three men and he would say, what's the big deal about bowing down? Why can't we all just get along? Why, why, do, you, why, why do you have to rock the boat? Why do you have to be so different? And if, if, if the beauty about this is, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, and you one thing. That the God that they serve is not a product, he's a process. And they understood that the journey with God takes sacrifice and takes something that you have to pay a price. You have to be, be willing to be all in. And their response to the king was, king, we understand what you're asking us to do. We are, we're asking, we understand that we are worshiping no other God but the one true living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And boy, the, the king gets angry. He gets so frustrated. He says, I'm going to kill you. And their response to him is, you do what you want. If you understand the the Hebrew context, their response to the king was very simple. Ah, you do what you want. I'm going to kill you. That's okay. You do. Just go for it. That's that's the Hebrew context of how God, how how the the, the discussion was unfolding. Ah, you do what you want. And then they say something. Angers the king. They say, our God will deliver us. 
And then they go forward one more step. That really, even in Hebrew, those who understand Hebrew, you see sort of the alphabets and, and the little punctuations around the alphabets change. Because they said something that angers them so much, it sets them off so much to a point that he, he just he, he he makes the worst punishment that was there. He makes it even more extreme that that punishment was really there. This is what they say: Even if our God doesn't deliver us, we still will worship no other God but the one true living God. Now that that that, that, that word, even if, in Hebrew, in some contexts, it doesn't exist. Because that's lack of faith. But in his eyes, it's blind faith. They say, our God, God is going to deliver us regardless. Even if he doesn't. To him, that confuses him. He gets so angry. He says, oh, I'm going to punish you now. And the Bible says that he commands the fire that was originally going to heat, him, heat it up and going to kill them and burn them in. He heated up the fire seven times. Are you with me? So he's angry, he's, he's frustrated because he doesn't understand their mindset. He doesn't understand where they're coming from. You're willing to put your life on it, and even if that doesn't work, you're still going to... That doesn't make sense. By the way, Satan and the enemy doesn't like it when we have blind faith. You know why? Because we blindside them. The enemy doesn't like it. The enemy wants to predict our movement. The enemy wants to predict what we're going to do next. How are we going to react to a frustration? How are we going to react to a disappointment? Satan is good at that. But when you have blind faith, you blindside the enemy. And, and, and what that does, it frustrates, angers them. And the, and the Bible says that heats up the fire seven times. You have to understand one thing, the irony about seven. Many, many of you probably know this. Seven is God's perfect number, right? It's seven. And he heats up the fire seven times. Now, he doesn't understand that when he heats up the fire seven times, he begins a miracle. He begins to set up a place for God's presence to appear. He begins to set up a place for God's miracle to begin to unfold in their eyes. And that's the beauty about this. What the world intends for evil, God turns for good. And, 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 and the amazing part about this is the fire is so strong. The flames go out and it sucks people in. That's how strong the flames were. Because again, they're hitting up the fire seven times. It sucks, it sucks those that are, that are hitting up the flames. It sucks them in. It kills them. That's how strong the fires are. And, and I want you, I want you to, to note this down because I'm going to go back to this concept of the flame going out to sucking people in. Because there, there's sort of a, a tie-in between influence church and between your own life, regardless where you're from. Whether you're watching on the internet or you're here today visiting, it, it's, it, there, there's, a, there's something that connects it there. And I'll tell you a little bit about it in a minute. But reading this story and how it's unfolding, it takes me back to my childhood. Um, as I shared my story with Chris and Kristen and the group in Bethlehem, I was born in Jerusalem and I grew up all my life in the city of Bethlehem. I never knew a single day in my life without experiencing war or bloodshed or turmoil in some capacity. I would go to school as a little boy, stepping over su- a, a body parts from a suicide bombing that would have happened down the street from our school. I've never known a single day in my life without a seeing, smelling, sensing, seeing terror in some capacity. That does something to a human being. To me, what it did, and thank God for that, what it did to me is it made me realize how short life is. And I challenge people to live life to the fullest, honoring God first and honoring those whom they love next. Because you can be here in one moment and you can be gone the next. That is the reality of the life that we live in today. You know, I grew up under, in school, sometimes being called son of a traitor. Son of an infidel, son of a proselytizer, because my father was a man that preached Jesus regardless who and without any shame, regardless of the cost. My father was a man that also loved Israel, loved the Jewish people, and taught about that. And in the Arab culture, that's a big no-no, because by default, we as Israelis, as Arabs, we're supposed to hate the Jewish people. That's what the culture teaches you. 
But he went against all laws, against, went against all culture, and took a stand. But that stand came at a price. We'd be sitting in a setting just like this in our church in Bethlehem. And people would come in the back doors with Molotov bombs in their hands. And they'd throw the Molotov bombs on the back entrance of the church pews. There'd be many Sundays we'd have buckets of water in our sanctuary. And those buckets of water were there to turn off the fire. That was an every Sunday for us during the late 80s and, and, and early 90s. Then there'd be Sundays where our church members walk out the church doors. And uh, rocks and stones would come flying on people's heads. The next Sunday, we'd know who was there the Sunday before because some of them would have stitches in their heads. We knew they were there last Sunday. Yes, people got scared. Some didn't want to come back. But also people kept coming and coming. It kept growing and growing because now they have skin in the game. Now they understand the bittersweet suffering of Jesus Christ. It was a different now, different. So it, there's something different there. They understood that there's a price to pay for carrying the honor, the name of being called a Christian. And that's the reality of some of the Sunday services we had. You know, our Muslims pray five times a day freely, praying five times a day over loud, loud speakers. And my father, uh, you know, the speakers would get so loud that we can barely hear each other inside the church sanctuary sometimes. My father got very frustrated with it. And I remember I was walking towards a church sanctuary and I see uh, my father up on the seat with an electrician. And I say, Dad, what are you doing up there? And he leans over, he's got a cable and another electrician up on the steeple says, you'll see on Sunday. <laughs> he gets on Sunday behind the pulpit. And right before he preaches, he presses a button and begins to preach. 10, 15 minutes into the service, 20 minutes into the service. Something's out of normal. Something's wrong. No rocks, no stones. Something, something's not normal. I walk out to the back door of the church, up the little hill and up the main street. I saw like 40, 50 Muslim men, women and children sitting down on the sidewalk, sitting down in their cars, laying on their wall, or laying on the cars or on the, on the wall, listening to my father's sermon. Now, how are they doing that? Our walls are bulletproof, fireproof cement walls. How are they listening to my father's sermon? Well, you know, the day before when he, when he was up on the steeple playing with some wires, he slapped up three German speakers up top and he pressed a button. That sermon went to a half a mile press radius all over the city of Bethlehem. Whether you liked it or not, you're stuck with a 45-minute message. You, you can't skip church that morning. Church is in your living room. And that's the concept of, of the concept of we are not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. We're willing to stand up. We are willing to fight back simply because we must be heard. And that, of course, angered a lot of people. But that's fine because I've come to the conclusion that boldness respects boldness. Courage respects courage. And, and really, the only time I was able to learn that the only time I was able to learn that was this April when I had the privilege to speak on the United Nations floor. And there was an Iranian delegation and, and many others. And I remember I got on my knees to pray before I spoke. And I stood up and one of the first delegations to be standing was the Iranian delegation at the United Nations floor. They stood up, gave a standing ovation after, after just doing a 40-second prayer about Jesus Christ. And then, of course, I gave my speech. But the beautiful part about it is they respected. You know why? Because we're not ashamed to represent Jesus. And that's the beauty about this. You know, um, I want to share one more story before we dip back into the scriptures again. But it, I am who I am by the grace of God. I'm nothing without him. It, he, he has stitched me and stitched you together in his own unique way because he loves you. At age 16, I, a young Muslim came to us wanting to learn about Jesus. And after a couple... Two and a half weeks of, of worship, uh, discipleship, talking about Jesus, he disappeared on me. 
began to wonder what happened to him, why he's not coming back. We had a beautiful time talking to 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, sharing about Jesus. And why, he, why, why would he disappear? I couldn't go and knock on his door and say, hey, man, where you been at? Because he lives in a Muslim community. If I would do that, then I would expose him. And I remember uh, I was, what happened to him was, and I found this out about a week after this happened to him. This is what happened to him. His, un- his mother found his Bible. And she gave his Bible to his uncles because she was concerned what, what she saw inside. There's a Muslim family and we're writing down statements like Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And all these are, are, are things that go against the Islamic teachings. And, he, and they were very scared. And, and uh, his, uncles put him on, his uncles put him in his house arrest in his bedroom for three days. They unwinded a metal hanger. And they began to lash him and beat him over and over and over again. Deny Jesus, deny Jesus, deny Jesus. They were beating him to the ground. He kept telling them, give me something to replace the peace, the joy that I have with Christ. Until then, don't ask me to give up the only thing that gave me peace. They unwinded his metal hangers and, and those things. They leave welts and stings. And, and deny Jesus, they're telling them, you're disgracing the family. You're disgracing the honor. Not one single time. Would he deny Jesus Christ? He kept telling him, give me something to replace equally the eternal peace and joy I have with Christ. Until then, don't ask me to give up the only thing. His uncles got together and said he's been brainwashed. The real problem isn't him. The problem is the people that are brainwashing, which is the people like me who are evangelizing. And I remember I was walking down the church street towards a church in Bethlehem, the same church that Chris and Kristen visited us in Bethlehem. And I was walking towards, I could see the building. And a person comes up to me and says, are you Stephen? I said, yes. And I thought he wants directions to the church or wants to sit down and talk about Christ. And I remember I said yes to him. And when I said yes, I felt something burning in the back of my head. I thought it's a bug or a fly. And I went like this here and, and I felt something wet on, them, on my fingers. And I looked at him and there was blood there. And everything just happening so quickly. I turned around. That's when I realized what's happened to him. That's when I got hit again. The first time I didn't even notice it, but this one, when I turned around and saw that, that's when I realized I was being beaten. About five or six guys with metal chains and thick wooden sticks, and they put me to the ground. They began to beat me over and over and over again, calling me names like infidel and traitor and proselyzer. Till today, I could never forget the smile, the vicious smiles on their faces as they were beating me to the ground. But I remember the overcoming, I, I said, Lord, if you, that's the craziest, most irrational thing. Lord, if you get me through this, I will love you. I will serve you even more. That's the most irrational thing I could, it's just the craziest thing came to mind. Lord, if you get me through this, I will love you and serve you even more. And when I said that, I felt, um, I saw, and I felt, I saw a white blanket just drop over my body. And I was safe. I was still cognitively conscious. I was still awake. I was still there. But all the pain was gone. You know why? Because I called on my Jesus. And I stood, understood at that moment that the psalmist when he was saying, even if I lay my bed in the pit of hell, thou art there with me also. I understood what the psalmist was saying, that regardless how low you are in life, how high you, how high you are, if you call on God with the right heart, with a righteous mind, God will respond because that's his promise. He's a guy that God does, does not lie. He always keeps his promises. And afterwards, they, 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 they picked me up and they put me in this big dumpster and then they spray paint on this big, big dumpster. Look at this Christian. May he be an example in, in, in Arabic. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to say anybody that does what this guy does, evangelizes, this is the outcome. 
But see, they were intended to break me from loving Jesus and evangelizing, talking about Jesus. But all they did is they pushed me closer to love him more. And I am a better, stronger man because of that beating. In fact, I I tell people, it wasn't for that beating, I wouldn't be here today. It wasn't for that beating, I wouldn't today have the honor to oversee 11 active ministries in the land of Israel and in the West Bank Palestinian communities, teaching and sharing the message of Jesus Christ and who he is, what he's done for us on Calvary's cross. See, it's either you're all in or, or, or it's nothing. That's the reality. And I challenge you to today, and that's my prayer, is that you, you, you walk out of here a different person. Today, I challenge you to expect the unexpected. Expect God to do something in your marriage, something God to do something in your faith. Expect God to do something in your life that you've never imagined, never thought before, and you, it's expected. And I want you, I want to take you into the, the, the psychology behind Mishach, Shadrach, and Abednego as we read uh, verses um, 20, 23 uh, down to um, down to 25. Let's, uh, let's just pray before we read the scriptures. Father, we come before you declaring that you're a God that's real. Lord, we are humbled by your presence. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful church and Pastor Phil and just the beautiful, amazing people, Lord, here that are here coming to learn about you. Lord, I pray that you instill within us a birthing of a new spirit of warrior and a spirit of boldness, that believers would get up out of the seats by the end of service and would walk out and understand that they are a part of building the greater kingdom. I pray today, Lord, that you heal the broken hearts. And give us a new vision, a new understanding that although we are living on enemy's territory, give us understanding, Lord, that we've already won the battle. Lord, we pray for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the, the, the three prophets are standing in front of the Nebuchadnezzar, the king, all right? And it says here in verses 22, Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of fire flew or, or killed it killed those men that heated up the fires. That's what I was telling you about earlier. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that a little bit. And 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. 24. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, true, O king, true. So here's what happens. He throws, throws them into the fire. The king sits back down. And I can imagine him probably kicking back and this, uh, uh, drinking wine. And just, he's saying, the people are going to marvel at my uh, punishment. The people are going to talk about this for generation to generation. He, he probably thought he set up the biggest punishment that, that is going to reverberate for years to come. And then here's what happens in verses 24. He sits back down, and the king is, looks in, and he's astonished, he's amazed. And then, and, then, and then he calls his counselors and says, guys, didn't we throw three men in? And they say, yes, king, you saw us. We threw, we threw three men in. And he says, how come I see four? Huh? How come I see four? And the fourth is like the son of God. And, and, and then he begins to marvel at the miracle. See, right now what I'm teaching you to do is to look at scriptures from a Jewish perspective. When you, when you look at scriptures from a Jewish perspective, you begin to dissect every line, not, not, uh, not only per se uh, for the definition behind the Greek or the Hebrew uh, uh, context, but you begin to, to, to dissect it from a Jewish mentality because the God that we serve is a God of Israel. 
The God that we serve is a, God, is a Jewish God. The God that we serve is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when you begin to look at the scripture, you have to understand, these three Jewish prophets, to them, God is 